0: grace to you and peace from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. As Pastor Sean mentioned, today we are concluding our Lenten focus on Isaiah chapter 53. Uh, So let's hear the last three verses of that chapter again. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And makes intercession for the transgressors. This is God's word for us today. Please be seated. So, as we get going today, I'd like to invite you to join me in Isaiah chapter 53. It's on uh, page 614 in the Pew Bibles, uh, right in front of you there. We've been looking at this chapter and the three verses at the end of chapter 52 uh, throughout this season of Lent for the last four weeks, this being the fifth. Uh, We've been focusing on this this servant song of Isaiah uh, that really focuses in on the, the agony and the ecstasy of Jesus. So in week one, we looked at the prologue of this song in chapter 52 where we were invited to behold the servant of Yahweh who was high and lifted up and would undergo extreme agony. Then Pastor Brandt talked about how Jesus would be met with, with unbelief and would be rejected by the people that he came to save. Pastor Sean then took us through uh, this idea that that God himself rejected Jesus, that he was stricken, smitten, and afflicted as he took our, our sins and our sorrows upon himself. And then last week, Vicar Wolf uh, talked about how Jesus was given a grave with the wicked after dying on a criminal's cross, even though he had done nothing wrong. So there's been a lot of of agony these last few weeks. And today we get to move from the suffering and the agony of Jesus to his victory and ecstasy. But first, Isaiah wants to remind us of why all of this agony came about. Why this tragic miscarriage of justice was necessary so he tells us in chapter 53 verse 10 yet it was the will of the lord to crush him if you think about it that is pretty shocking it was the will the desire the the ultimate plan of the god of all justice to crush his son who had done no wrong How many times have you heard someone say, or maybe you've said yourself, God has a great plan for your life. Well, the great plan that God had for his son's life was to bring it to a violent end on the cross. If this is not jarring for you, if it isn't at least a little bit difficult for you to come to terms with the fact that God struck down his own son, that he laid on him the iniquity of us all, I'd invite you to find some quiet time this week and just really ponder that truth. Let it sink in. To many people, it seems quite barbaric. Maybe to you too. It is a little bit barbaric, isn't it? Sin is barbaric. The cost to pay for our sin was barbaric. Agonizing. But the beauty of Christ's agony inflicted by his father is that when God crushed his son, he crushed our sin. Jesus came to suffer right here in the middle of our sin, crucified between two thieves who could have just as easily been you and me. They were crucified for their crimes. Jesus was crucified for ours. And this is the way that it was always going to be. We've known it from the prologue of the servant song. God knew it from the very beginning. On Pentecost Sunday, Peter uh, proclaimed to those gathered in Pentecost or gathered in Jerusalem on Pentecost, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed. In Revelation, John describes Jesus as the lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. It was the will of the Lord from the very beginning to crush Jesus so that Jesus might crush the serpent's head. That's exactly what he did. In offering himself up, according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, Jesus destroyed Satan and destroyed our sin. So now what? Isaiah says, when his soul... Makes an offering for guilt, he shall see. You might remember that the servant song began with an invitation for us to see or to behold the servant. Now it's the servant himself who sees, and, and what does he see? He shall see his offspring. With the death of the servant, Yahweh has brought to life a family. Way back in Isaiah chapter 9, there's this famous prophecy that we usually hear around Christmas time, and I'd like to just read it to you, but I want to ask your help to fill in a blank toward the end, okay? Are you ready? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The Son of God, the servant of God, is called Everlasting Father. Here in chapter 53, it says that he shall see his offspring. We usually think of God the Father as our Father and and Jesus as our brother. And rightly so. That's how the Bible usually talks about it. But in Isaiah 9 and, and here in Isaiah 53, we're reminded that we're given new birth. We are given life. Because of what Jesus has done for us, He made us family. We all, like sheep, had gone astray. We return as children. John 1 says of Jesus, and you can fill in the blank here too, but to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become what? Children of God. We are His offspring. The servant shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. Over and over again in Scripture, seeing your descendants and and having a long life are signs of divine blessing. Uh, In some ways you could say they're the most important markers or the most prominent markers of those who are considered pleasing to Yahweh and, and greatly blessed by him. So this sort of phrase is used all over the place in the Old Testament. But this is the only place where it refers to someone who has died. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And there is no life longer than eternal life. The servant is alive again. This statement is a clear reference to the resurrection of Yahweh's servant from the dead. And in fact, the resurrection of Jesus is referenced in all three of the verses that we're looking at today. The agony has come and gone, and it gives way now to ecstasy, to our resurrected Lord looking upon us with love in his eyes and joy in his heart. So how does it make you feel to know that you are seen by Jesus That not a single experience in your life has escaped his notice. That you are not forgotten. That you are not alone. That when you suffer the various agonies of this life, you have one with you who himself walked through the valley of the shadow of death and came out the other side. And who by his agony has rescued you from yours for all eternity. How does it shape the way you see other people? How does it affect your actions and and your behaviors and the general disposition of your heart and your mind? How does it lead you to repent of your sins and to lay them at the feet that were pierced for your transgressions? The feet of the exalted one who has crushed your iniquities and brought you peace and healing. He did all of this for you. He does all of this just for you. This is God's plan for your life. It has always been God's good will for you. Isaiah says, "It was the will of the Lord to crush him." Yes. But then he says, "The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand." As one commentator has put it, he who was crushed under the will of the Lord lives as the executor of that will. In his hand, the Lord's will prospers. So what does the prosperity of God's will in the hand of Jesus look like? Isaiah tells us. He says it looks like the many being accounted righteous by his knowledge. This means that all who come to know Christ truly truly receive his benefits. Jesus did not just die with the transgressors. He came to die for the transgressors, for you and for me. Jesus was not just given a grave with the wicked. He came to occupy the grave for the wicked so that we would not die eternally. He poured out his soul to death. He bore the sin of many, of all of us. This was God's will, and Jesus accomplished it perfectly. So Yahweh says, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Yahweh's servant is a warrior. He has conquered. One of my seminary professors has written, Jesus is not a subordinate assistant to the Father. He is not the vice president of the universe. Jesus is not a junior partner in the Trinity. He is a full-fledged member of the Godhead in majesty co-equal with the Father and the Spirit from eternity past. This is what I was getting at a few weeks ago when I said that the servant of Yahweh is Yahweh. Jesus is God himself, and he has triumphed over death and hell, and you and I are the spoils of his victory. The servant of Yahweh considered our salvation to be his own reward. This is why Isaiah says, Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Sean referenced Hebrews 12, verse 2. One of my favorite passages in the Bible. It says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We were the joy set before him. We were the light at the end of the tunnel that kept him going through all of the agony that he faced. Jesus did not consider his life worth our death. Vice versa. He willingly and gladly took all of the agony that we've been meditating on this Lenten season. And now that he has suffered and died and been raised from the dead. He sees us his offspring. And his heart is full of satisfaction. Kids have you ever had a a big homework assignment or, or grown-ups, maybe this big project at work or, or any one of us, have you ever experienced this long, drawn-out challenge in life that, that you just dread but that you were able to get through because you knew it was on the other side? I can remember uh, quite clearly this graduate course I took with a professor that I, I quoted just a few minutes ago uh, where we had a final exam at the end of the class that I had to learn probably as much content, if not more, for that exam than I had ever had to learn in my life combined. It was, it was just crazy. Uh, there was one member of our class, not me, uh, who during one of our study sessions admitted to us that he had broken down and wept in front of his wife <laughs> from all of the pressure. I remember that pressure really well. But I also remember the freedom and joy and satisfaction I had When the test was taken, the class was over, and I had passed with flying colors. You've probably had an experience or two like that. Now, imagine the satisfaction Jesus must feel at having accomplished the will of the Lord by his agony, winning for us eternal freedom and joy. And the day is coming soon when he will see us raised from the dead. Rescued and restored to live with him forever. He shall see. And so will we. As we began our series, we were invited to see, to behold the servant of Yahweh. As we end it today, that's still our invitation. To behold the servant of Yahweh, to see him high and lifted up on a cross, raised from the dead and exalted to the highest place. His one focus was to save us. Our one focus should be him who saved us. Jesus did not value his life over ours. We should not value anything over him. We should say with Paul that we count everything, everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. We should count all things as rubbish in order that we may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of our own. But one that comes through faith in Christ. That we may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share in his sufferings. And attain the resurrection from the dead. Let our confidence in this promise not be one that says. Now we'll see. But one that confidently proclaims, we shall see. Isaiah 53 closes by reminding us that in the present tense, not the past tense, in the present tense, Jesus makes intercession for the transgressors. He is truly high and lifted up, seated at the right hand of the throne of God where he intercedes for us. There, his eyes are fixed on us in love as he tends to our needs Comforts us in our agony and leads us to eternal life. And from there, he will come again to raise us up from our graves. So let us fix our eyes on Jesus these next two weeks. As he processes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, as he is betrayed and abandoned by his friends and arrested and condemned by his enemies on Monday, Thursday, as he is beaten and bloodied and crucified and killed on Good Friday and as he rises in eternal victory over death and hell on Easter Sunday. After it all, he shall see and be satisfied. And so shall we. In Jesus' name, amen. Now may the peace of God, which transcends our understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus, our Lord, now and forever. Amen.